We're in a series called Transformed. Transformed. And this morning, what I want us to do is, is look at our our, our, our health again, once again. But this, this, this morning I want to talk about financial health. I want us to look at our financial health. Now, it may surprise you to hear that Jesus talked more about money than he did about heaven or hell. Think about that. Half of the parables that Jesus taught have to do with money. And this one really, I'd never heard this one before, but it, it kind of shocked me. In the books of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, one out of every six verses has to do with money or money management. Do you think this topic was important to Jesus Christ when he was here? you think it's important to God? Well, reading that, I think uh, we have to say yes. Why? Why is it so important? Because money can dominate and influence our lives for good or for bad. Every single one of us. And I want to encourage you this morning. Some of the things I'm going to say, you know, it's going to be for the for those who are a little bit older, it's going to be a little more challenging because the transformation you're going to have to make is going to it's going to be tight in your belt, hurting a little bit to try to to try to kind of get to where you need to be spiritually when it comes to your finances. But those of you who are younger, I want you to listen to this sermon like you've never listened to a sermon before in your entire lives. Because if you don't get this one right, it's going to be very difficult to be, uh, to be uh, spiritually healthy, physically healthy, mentally healthy, emotionally healthy. It's going to be difficult to be healthy in other areas of your life. Because if you don't get this one right, the stress, the difficulty, the confrontation, relationally healthy between your hus- husband and wife and your family. I'm telling you, please, I'm not just saying this. Take good notes. I I told the wise words folks to make as many copies of this one as they can, because this morning and next week, I'll give them away. We'll just give them away. okay, to people. This is how important this is. Please take really good notes. Use your um, devotional. Use the back of your bulletin. Get the CD. If you don't get it this week, get it next week. This is extremely important to every single person in this room, because how we handle this will literally dominate and affect every other area of our lives. So this week, we're going to look at a very, very misunderstood, if you will, story. One of the most misunderstood stories in the entire Bible. We find it in Luke chapter 16. Now, the reason why this is confusing to so many people is it seems like that Jesus is approving dishonesty. As he tells this parable, as the first time I ever read it and the first time you've ever read it, I know if you've ever read this parable, you're going, what on earth is he talking about? This doesn't sound right. It seems like Jesus is approving of dishonesty, but he's not. He's absolutely not. He's just using a clever crook, if you will, as the hero of the story. He's using this clever crook. He's doing it for a specific point as well. There's always a method to his madness, okay? There's always a reason for what he does. So he's using this clever crook as the hero of the story to make a specific point. So let me read you the story in Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 12. Jesus said, There once was a rich man who enlisted a manager to take care of his property. But the manager was accused of wasting his master's possessions. 
So the owner called him in and said, you must now give an account of your stewardship and report what you have done with what I have entrusted to you because your time as a manager is ending. The manager thought, what am I going to do now? I'm losing my job and I'm not strong enough to dig ditches. You should have thought that before. And I'm too proud to beg. I know what I'll do. So that after I lose my job, I'll have plenty of friends to take care of me. So he called in everyone who was in debt to his master. He asked the first man, how much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager said, "Okay, tear up that bill and write a new bill that says you only owe 400 gallons. I love that. Next Uh, the manager found another debtor and asked, how much do you owe? He said, a a thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. The manager said, okay, change your bill to say you only owe 800. Love that one. Now, when the master heard what the dishonest manager had done, he still praised his shrewdness. For worldly people are more shrewd in handling their affairs than are those who belong to the light. That's us. This is a strange story. Okay? So far, you think about it, it's kind of a strange story. The next several verses, Jesus gives us more insight into the meaning meaning of this parable. In verse 9, it says this, Use your worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, So that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Listen to what he's saying. And whoever and whoever's dishonest with little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, listen, who is going to trust you with true riches? Let that sink in. This is what Jesus is talking about here. Okay, if you're not, if you haven't been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who's going to trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who's going to give you property of your own? No servant can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. He doesn't say should not. He says cannot. It's impossible. You cannot serve both God and money. See, that may be the most shocking and misunderstood story that Jesus ever told. People get really confused. They can't understand why he's using this guy, holding this guy up as as an example, and, and, and teaching us something from someone like this. Well, it's important to note a couple of things. First off, a couple of things. First, Jesus is not praising this man's dishonesty. Okay? He is not praising this man's dishonesty. He's praising his shrewdness. He's praising the person's shrewdness. We'll get back to that in a minute. Second, second, you can learn, Jesus is saying, you can learn from just about anyone if you learn to ask the right questions. When you're interacting with people, whether they're part of uh, God's kingdom, whether they're, they know Jesus Christ is their personal Lord and Savior, or they don't, you can learn from everyone. You just need to know how to ask the right question. Jesus is saying, my friends, you can learn from all kinds of different people. 
depending on your circumstances, what's happening around you, keep an eye on everyone. You can learn what not to do and you can learn what to do in different situations. So he's saying you can learn from everyone. For instance, if I have a, a brain tumor and I want to go, I want to go and I want to talk to a, a neurosurgeon. The question, the first question I'm going to ask the neurosurgeon is not, can you quote for me John 3.16? Were you in church last Sunday? Do you know Jesus Christ is your personal Lord and Savior? Those are the questions I'm not going to ask the neurosurgeon. What I'm going to ask is, have you done the surgery before? Can you tell me something about my brain tumor and what you're going to do if I were to choose you as a, as a neurosurgeon, what you're going to do? How effective have you been in the past doing this surgery? Well, what's your success rate? Those are the kinds of questions I'm going to ask. And then I will learn from the neurosurgeon whether he is a foul mouth, okay, womanizer or not. I'm going to learn something from that neurosurgeon. I can glean some truth from the neurosurgeon. So you've got to ask the right questions. This guy's dishonest. Therefore, we don't have to learn that from him. We don't want to be dishonest. So you don't, next time you get fired, you don't sit down with the people, and the, you know, the people that owe the company money and try to like, kind of embezzle, if you will, the money and put yourself in a better position so you can get a job with that person. That's not what we learn from this. You learn not to do that. But there's some other things that you can really learn from this guy. He did some things that were right. His shrewdness is what Jesus is looking at. And he did some things that were basic principles that we can use on how he handled his money. You need to handle your money in a similar way. Because listen, if it's not sinful, it's right. Exactly. So if he's not doing something sinful, then it's sacred. We can learn from everyone. The other thing I want you to notice is the two reasons Jesus tells this story. You got to look at always got to look at the context. What are the two reasons that Jesus actually tells this story? So the first question we have to ask is, who is Jesus talking to? Well, he's talking to the Pharisees. All right. He's talking to the Pharisees. The Pharisees are this incredible bunch of arrogant. They're incredibly arrogant, prideful, self-righteous. They don't like people and they are hypocrites. They, they put on a big show. They put on this spiritual show. They put it all on. But they're, they're hypocrites. See, I love how Jesus, he's amazing at his ability to comfort the afflicted. You know, we all know that. Jesus is incredible at, at comforting the afflicted. You read stories and you're like, Jesus had such compassion. He was so kind. He really was. He comforted the afflicted while afflicting those who were comfortable. You know why? Because he loved them both. He loved them both. And he knew that he needed to get these Pharisees out of their out of their self-righteous position, if you will, if they were going to submit themselves and humble themselves and become a part of the kingdom of God. If their spiritual walk was truly going to become a true spiritual walk, Jesus had to rile them up. So Jesus knew that the Pharisees loved money. They absolutely loved money. That's why he tells a shocking story and makes the, the clever crook the hero of the story. In verse 14 of chapter 16, it says this. The Pharisees dearly loved money. Their priorities were all messed up. They dearly, when it says they dearly loved money, it talk about it, they loved, this was their main priority. They dearly loved money. See, the things that most people in this world consider important or significant, God doesn't. Consider important or significant. 
And that's what Jesus is trying to do here. They consider those things important or significant. What are some things in our culture today and back then that people would think is, are really important and really significant? Possessions. Having, accumulating as much as you possibly can accumulate. Possessions, right? Power. Prestige. Popularity. All those things were important. Pleasure, if you will. I mean, just getting those things and, the, and the, 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 the possessions, those were important to them, but they're not important to God. God says those aren't the most important things in life. There's nothing wrong with pleasure. There's nothing wrong with possessions. There's nothing wrong with power. There really isn't. There's nothing wrong with being in a prestigious position. There's nothing wrong with being popular. If you're popular, you're popular. But what does it take to get there? And is that the number one priority in your life? That's the issue. Is that the number one priority in your life? And God says it shouldn't be because those are not the most important things in life. I want to teach you a whole new way this morning to look at your financial health, to look at your, look at your wealth, to look at your money. I want to teach you a different way to look at it today. What God says about money is the complete opposite of what the world usually says about money. All right? What God teaches us, what he's going to teach us this morning about how to handle money, how to handle your wealth, how to handle your finances is different than what the world would teach us, what we've been taught in the past. The second reason that Jesus tells the story is that most believers are not good at money management. They're not. Obviously, they weren't back then and obviously they're not now. Not only are they not good at money management, but most believers, many believers are in debt. Now, you might think to yourself, well, I'm a good money manager and I am not in debt so I can leave. No, you can't because Jesus has a lot to teach every single one of us about our financial health, how to become financially healthy. I tell you, this is one of the most challenging sermons you're going to hear this year. Okay, also one of the most profound sermons when it comes to life transformation that you may ever hear in your entire life. I'm not saying it's how, how it's how I preach it. I'm talking about the content. This is life changing information. So Jesus is basically telling a story because most believers aren't good at money management and they're in debt. OK, they're in debt. This message today also, so you can take a deep breath, is not about giving. We're not going to talk about the parking lot again this entire service. I'm not going to pass the offering plate around at the end. We're not going to talk about the budget. It isn't about giving. And it isn't about tithing. It's about becoming a lot better, all of us becoming better money managers. It's about us being shrewd with the money that God has entrusted to us. That's what we're talking about here. So that's what the message is about. It's about money management. So Jesus praises this guy's shrewdness. So then the question is, what is shrewdness? What does it mean to be shrewd? Well, it means to be smart with your resources. It means to be sharp. It means to be strategic. It means to be resourceful. It means you see something that needs to be done, it needs to be accomplished, and you figure out how to accomplish it with what you have, with whatever resources you've been given. You know, you take, if you see a problem, you see a situation, and you're using your, your, your intelligence, you're using your sharpness, you're using your resourcefulness, you're re- using your, you know, your, your strategic, what did President Bush say, strategery? You're really good at strategery, Right? Right. And you you figure out how to get from point A to point B in a situation. That's what shrewd means. That's what he's talking about here. God wants us, you and I, to learn to be biblically shrewd with the resources that he has entrusted to us. 
So from this story, we're going to learn four things not to do, okay, with our money, four ways that we should not handle our resources. And then we're going to talk about six ways, six ways that we should, we should be remembering six, these, six things, these six things we should remember on an ongoing basis. And if we remember these things, it will totally transform the way we look at our life and the way that we look at our money. So four things not to do and six things that we need to remember if we want our financial stress to go down dramatically. If you apply these things to your life, your financial stress will drop dramatically. All right? First, what not to do with your money. Number one, don't waste it. It's the first thing we learn here. The guy wasted it. Don't waste it. The Bible says don't waste the money that God has allowed you, okay, at this time in your life as a manager, that God has allowed you to have. In Luke chapter 16 and verse 2, it says this, the manager was accused of wasting his master's possessions. So don't waste your money. We have a responsibility to wisely use the money that God has given to us, that he's entrusted to us, to wisely use it. Don't waste it. That's number one. Number two, don't love it. The Bible says that you shouldn't love money. Okay, money is not evil. Money is not bad. Money is good. It can be used for so many good things. But Bible says don't love it. Okay, and don't live for it. Don't live for your money. It should never be number one in your life. And, you know, we love to we love to sometimes get around that, you know, with, you know, well, I don't love more, more money more than God. And all, but how are we living our lives? The Bible says the number one priority of every single one of us should be Jesus Christ, that we love him with all of our all of our hearts and all of our souls and all of our mind and all of our strength, that we love God first. And then money plays a part of our lives. So don't waste it and don't love it. Number three, don't trust it for security. Do not trust it for security. I don't care how much money you have, you can lose it. Okay, I was talking to someone on the way out of first service. I, I know them very well. They lost millions of dollars, okay, years ago. Doesn't matter how much you think you have, how much you can rest and you can you're secure. Do not put your security in your money. Because no matter how much you have, you can lose it. So you can't find security in it. The manager learned this pretty quickly. In verse 3, here's what he says. What am I going to do? I'm losing my job. Many of you know exactly how he feels. You've lost your job. You've lost your work. You're out of work. And if you put your security in your job, in your work, and how much money that brings in, when you lose your job, when you're out of work, you lose your security. So don't put your security in your money, in your job. You put, you put your security in the number one thing in your life, which is Jesus Christ. And no matter where you find yourself in life, he is going to help you through. Do not put your security in, don't trust it, don't trust your security when it comes to your money. Number four, don't expect it to satisfy. Do not expect it to satisfy. If you think, if you think that having more is going to make you more happy, is going to make you, in, in, in people's eyes, more valuable, if it's going to make you more important, then you are fiercely misguided. 
If you think having more is going to give you more, is going to make you more valuable in other people's eyes or in your own eyes, or it's going to make you more of this, or it's going to make you more happy, it's going to, if you think that, you are fiercely misguided. Someone asked Howard Hughes, I love this, how much does it take to make a man happy? You know how he responded? Just a little bit more. Think about that. That's biblical truth right there, is it not? Howard Hughes, I don't know where he was spiritually, but they asked him, you know, what is it going to take to make a man happy? How much will it take? And he said, just a little bit more. It's a trap. Just a little bit more, a little bit more. Ecclesiastes backs him up. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 10, it says this, whoever loves money will never have enough. Whoever loves money will never have enough. If that's your number one goal in life, money, 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 then you will never have enough. You will never be, you will never be totally happy. You won't be content. You'll have no joy, okay? You're not going to have any peace because you're going to want, you're going to want more. It's just going to keep asking for more and more and more. Okay, so those are the four things we don't want to do. Okay, what are the six things Six things that we can learn from this story. Things that we want to remember every single day that will help us in our financial health. Number one, remember that it all belongs to God. Remember that it all belongs to God. Everything ever created in the universe belongs to God. You don't own anything. This is really difficult to understand in this culture, especially American culture. You don't own anything. What you think you own is only on loan. God has loaned it to you. You're not the owner. You're the manager, right? So God is the owner of all things. And then I am a manager and all of you are managers. I don't care if you're six years old in this room. If you have two nickels to rub together, you don't own that. You manage that. It's how you manage. We, we, we've been talking to our son Joshua about that. And now I owe him ten dollars more. It's going to go in his bank account. Um, every time I say it without talking to him, I owe him ten bucks. So uh, I'm sure he'll. You'll, someone's going to tell him that I mentioned his name because they always do. Um, we had we opened up a bank account for Joshua. We said this is how much. You, this is what you want to put away. This is how much you need to tithe. This is how much you can keep to spend on other things. And we're helping him with money management. We need to understand. We need that needs to be a part of our lives. We need to. It's it's so important that we we truly grasp. The, and Josh Josh needs to grasp this grasp this as well. That Josh is not an owner. He is a manager of what God has given to him. And every single one of us needs to understand that as well. It's really God's and he's allowing us to use it. And he's watching. Here's the thing, because this gets even this is going to get more and more intense. Okay, so just hang on. He's watching how we're using the resources that he's given to us. And it has a profound impact on your life here on earth. If you start to look at your life in every area of your life that you're not an owner but a manager, your stress level will go down tremendously. You will worry less because you're not consumed that it's all. Mind you, when you're the owner, a lot more stress. When you're the manager, a lot less stress. And if you thought about every area of your life this way, you'll see that your worry will be less, your stress will be less. Number two, God is using money to test me. Here we go. He's using money to test me. He's testing all kinds of things in my life. God is not automatically going to just bless people with all kinds of stuff. He's not going to. He's not going to do that. He tests you first to see if you're responsible, to see if you can handle it. And if you can't handle it, he's not going to give it to you. 
If you cannot handle it, he's not going to listen. He's not going to trust you with it. If you can't be responsible and you can't handle it, he's not going to trust you with more. If what he's given you already, you're squandering. You're not being a good manager of what you've already been given. He's not going to give you more and not just money. That's the thing. He's not going to bless you in a lot of different areas of your life. This life is a test. This life is a preparation for the next life. God is testing us and God is testing us in so many different ways. God is testing our faithfulness. God's favorite tool to test your to test your to test your faithfulness is finances. God's favorite tool to test you in so many areas of your areas of your life, honestly, is your finances because we all really really struggle with this this one. He tests three things, okay? Three things. First, money shows what I love the most. Money shows what I love the most. I don't care what anyone says, how anyone thinks they can get around that. You can't. Money shows what I love the most. How I spend my money, how I spend, my, write my checks, my credit card, my cash, how I spend my money reveals to God and to everyone else, okay, in your life, what you love the most. Do not, do not forget that. When your kids are watching you and how you spend your money and where you spend your money and what's most, that's what they'll think is most important to you. If you want to know where your heart is, if you want to know where, then grab your checkbook, see where you're, what you wrote down, what you spent money on, grab your credit card receipts and everything. And look, when it comes in the mail on, uh, in a month, you know, look at where you spend your money. Where you spend your money reveals what you love the most. It shows what I have faith in. Think about that. It shows what I have faith in. Am I trusting my money for my security or am I trusting God for my security? Am I trusting my money for my happiness or am I trusting God for my happiness? Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 28 says this. If you trust in your money, you will fall. But if you trust in God, you will flourish like a green tree. Third, this is a big one. This is a big one. Money shows not just, not just if I trust God, but if God trusts me. These are all like profound, okay? Every point is just, the, 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 there's so much depth and so much meat in this parable. It's unbelievable. It, it basically shows if God can trust me. This is what the story is all about. It's not just about, do I trust God, but does God trust me? Because God says, I'm looking to see how well you're managing the material things in life before I'm going to give you the spiritual things. I'm going to see how you manage the material things before I give you spiritual blessings, before I give you more. I'm not going to, I'm not going to trust you. We say, sometimes we sit back and we say, oh, God, you know, why doesn't God give me this? And why don't I have that? And this person has that and I don't have it. God, why don't you give me, give me, 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 me? Why don't you give me more? Because he says, you know what? I've trusted you with all these material things. I gave you so much. Or even if I gave you a little, I give you a little, what'd you do with the little? I gave you a middle-sized amount, what'd you do with that? I gave you a whole lot, what'd you do with that? And we're shaking our fists to God and questioning God and wondering why, why God won't bless my life in so many different areas. And God says, wait a second, 
I gave you responsibility. You're the manager. I gave you responsibility for the material things. Do you now think I'm going to give you more responsibility with spiritual blessing when you haven't handled the material things that I've given you well? That's what Jesus is saying. That's what he's saying. See, out-of-control finance, an out-of-control financial life reveals sometimes an out-of-control life. Unmanaged finances is symptomatic of an unmanaged life. And God says, how, how, can I, how, can I give you, how can I give you what you're saying in your mind that you want, that you're screaming out for when you haven't handled the little I've given you so far very well? How are you going to handle these bigger things if you haven't handled the little things that I've given you well? See, verses 11 and 12 are some of the most profound, important scriptures in all the Bible. Let me read it to you again. Verses 11 and 12. Whoever can be trusted, listen to every word. Whoever can be trusted with very little, very little, can be trusted with much. So if he trusts you with very little and you do a great job, he can trust you with much. Whoever is is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. If you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, worldly wealth is basically a phrase that means you're not a good manager, you're spending more than you have, um, you know, you're not saving for the future, you're not investing, you're not working for your money, you're not, you know, your money's not working for you, you're just working for the money, you're di- you haven't put away, you haven't managed it very well. He says, who will trust you with true riches? If you haven't handled that well, who, how, how can I trust you with true riches? God, use me. God, use me in some profound, amazing way. Help me. Ch- I want to change the world. Wait a second. I gave you a test. I gave you something and you really mismanaged it. Now, I still love you. I still want to use you. I'm still going to, but I, I need you to deal with this first and then I'll allow you maybe to do some other things that you kind of have on your heart to do. Who will trust you with true riches if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property? Who will give you property of your own? That's exactly what Jesus is saying here. It's exactly what Jesus is saying. Who is going to give you your own? Jesus is saying how you handle your money determines the kind of blessings that you're going to have in your life. The way that God's going to interact and he's going to give you certain things in your life. How you money. It's incredible. It's incredible. This is unbelievable. You think about this. I didn't. I'm not saying this. I don't don't think what Pastor Jeff's opinion. This is not my opinion. This is not my opinion. This is what Jesus said. I, I didn't say it. But if you think about it, if you really truly, and I have this week, if you think about it, this is mind-blowing. This answers, does this not answer a lot of your questions? It's just mine. Does this not answer a lot of the questions? Even if, if this principle is applied to even countries or whatever else, can you think about that? Think about this, think about the implications of what I just read to you, of what Jesus is saying here. This is unreal. Okay, let's get back to our main points here. Here's the third truth that you need to remember. You've got to remember. Money is a tool. It is a tool. 
Money is a tool to be used for God's purposes. Money isn't good or bad. It's not right or wrong. Money can be used to build awesome churches and it can be used to, to, to make drug deals. Okay, Money is a tool. It's just a tool. The Bible says that we are to listen. We are to love people and we are to use money. Love people, use money. The problem is we get that all twisted around and we begin to love money and start to use people. We start to use people to get more money. This is where the phrase comes from when someone completely rips you off, annihilates you, cuts you off at the knees and they use the phrase, it's only business. Because I love money and I'm going to use you. I don't love you. I love my money. It's only business. So you're at, you're, the human equation doesn't matter. The financial equation is the only thing that matters. The Bible says, wait a second, you are to love people and to use money. And what we've done is we've turned it around in many cases and said, I love money, so I'm going to use people, and I'm going to use people, so I end up with more money. Money is a tool. Money is a tool. Money is a tool to be used for God's purposes. Money is to be used for good and for God. So let's look again at this at this uh, this manager, okay? This dishonest manager. Why does Jesus make him the hero of the story? Well, he may have been dishonest, may have been totally dishonest, okay? But he did three things really really well, okay? He did three things that he did three things that were right. Number one, he looked ahead. Verse three says, "What am I going to do now?" He's thinking of the future, right? <laughs> he does something dopey. He gets himself into trouble and he looks to the future. What am I going to do now? Most people never look ahead. Most people are only dealing with the here and now. How does, how does my money work for me right now? Make me feel good right now? How can I get it right now? I, I, I don't want to wait for anything. I'm not going to save for it. I need it now. I'm going to put it on a credit card, whatever it is. I need it right now. I'm not thinking of the future. You're living for today. That's why very few people in the, in the body of Christ, if you will, all over the country don't save. Last year, the average American saved um, minus 1%. That's how much savings. Minus 1%. So who's going to take care of us when the future comes, if we're not saving anything for the future? Proverbs 14, chapter, uh, verse 8 says this. The wise man looks ahead. The fool attempts to fool himself and won't face the facts. The fool attempts to fool himself and will not face the facts. I wonder what financial facts you are refusing to face this morning. Let me, let's get real personal, okay? I don't know who's in what situation. Let me just throw some thoughts out. Number one, some of you are living in houses too big for you to handle financially. You can't handle it. You younger ones, okay, do not go out there and don't get caught up in, ooh, if I get this house, people are going to think I'm so whatever, I'm so bad, oh, they're going to think that I'm real successful. Who cares what they think? You put yourself in a bind thinking about who cares what other people think. Care about what God thinks. Buy a house that you can easily afford. You have money left over and work your way up. Some of you are in a car that you cannot afford. You need to sell that car. You need to trade that car in and you need to get something more manageable. I was reading a book by Mark Cuban. Mark Cuban is the, um, the, he owns the Dallas Mavericks and he's on Shark Tank all the time. And some of you say, well, Mark Cuban, he's a bum. Uh, let's go back to this. If it's not sinful, it's, so whatever Mark Cuban, if Mark Cuban says something that's true, you know what? Jeff Greer is going to learn it. Okay, and Mark Cuban says something very biblical here. 
I don't think he even thinks, knows it's biblical, but it is. He says, I am also a big believer in financial, um, big believer that financial debt is the ultimate, listen, the ultimate dream killer. This is so many of the people in our culture. Listen to this. Your first house, car, or whatever you might want to buy is going to be the primary reason you stop looking for what makes you the happiest. You're now enslaved. How crazy is it to settle for a house, a car, or X over what it is you would like to do on an hourly or daily basis? He goes on, if you aren't happy with where you are, simplify your life. Truth is truth. That is biblical truth. If you go out and buy a house, you go out and buy a house, and you can't afford that house, and God says go, you know what you're going to say? No. Why? Not because you don't love the Lord, because you cannot, you cannot handle it. You couldn't walk away from your job. You are now stuck doing something you don't want to do because you're so financially strapped and in debt. You are stuck doing what, you, what makes you unhappy. The thing that you, you have a dream and you'd love to try this or you'd love to try that or you'd love to go there and, and serve the Lord. You can't because you put yourself in such a position that when God says go, the only answer to that is no, is no. Next, he made a plan. That's the next verse. He said, I know what I'm going to do. That's a plan. Do you have a plan? Do you have a plan? How do you know if you've got a financial plan? Well, it's simple. Do you have a budget? Ask yourself, do I have a budget? A budget is telling your money, you're telling your money in a budget where you want it to go, not wondering where it went. That makes sense? A budget's telling, you're telling your money where you want it to go. You're not at the end of the month wondering where it went. Last, it act, it, he acted quickly. He gets commended for acting quickly. He didn't procrastinate. He didn't delay. He didn't say, well, you know, I'm not going to put my plan in motion right now. He put his plan in motion. He didn't say one day, this is really good stuff that I've learned here. I've learned my lesson and, uh, and, and I'm going to, one day I'm going to get my financial house in order. If you leave here today and you say, one day I'm going to get my financial house in order, then I feel bad. I really do. Because... God is saying, take care of it right now. It may take you years to get where you need to be. That's why you younger ones, listen to it now. Learn it now. Take this tape, listen to it over and over and over and over again. Learn this now. For those of you who didn't learn it quickly enough, it's going to take you a a bit of time to get back to where you need to be, but you can get there. You can get there. He says, don't procrastinate. Deal with it. Okay, back to our main points. We have a couple more. we'll, We'll go through these quickly. The fourth truth is really, really counter, very, very counterculture. Okay? Really counterculture. But Jesus said it, so I'm going to teach it to you. The best use of money is to use it to get people into heaven. Okay? This is one of those, this is really one of the problem verses that a lot of people are like, I don't, I don't, what is he talking about? I don't understand this. Verse 9. Jesus says, I tell you, Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself, talking about building relationships, so that when it is gone, they will welcome you into your eternal dwellings. He's talking about heaven here. He's talking about heaven. He's saying, just like this dishonest guy used his resources to gain friendships for the future, Jesus is saying, wait, I got a, I got a, a much better plan for you. I want you to use your financial resources for spiritual friends, for eternal friends, for people who are going to spend eternity in heaven with you. He wants us to invest, my friends, in changing lives. 
He wants us to invest our money in changing lives. Now imagine, because this has been such an uplifting sermon for you, imagine you're dead, okay? <laughs> Some of you are thinking, I wish I was right now, because now I've got to think about all this other stuff. Imagine, imagine you're dead, okay, and, 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 you're, and you're, on, you're on your way to heaven, and you get to heaven, the entrance of heaven. There are hundreds of people outside of the gates of heaven, hundreds of people who are clapping and cheering because you're there. And they're saying, we're so glad to see you. You're finally here. We were waiting for you because you're the reason that we're all here. You invested your resources. There are people in this church who have invested invested millions of dollars in the lives of others to build relationships so that they have an opportunity to share the love of Jesus Christ with those people. They've invested in people's felt needs so they earn the right to be heard and they shared the love of Jesus Christ with those people and those people are going to spend eternity with Jesus Christ. The question I have, and I don't mean to, I love you so much, I don't mean to beat up on you, I really don't, but another question you got to ask yourself is who's going to be in heaven because of you? Who's going to be in heaven because of you? Number five. Number five. One day we're going to have to give account to God. One day we're going to have to give account to God. What did we do with what we were given? One day your managerial job is going to be over. And the Bible says this. Each of us will have to give a personal account to God. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? At the end, every one of us individually will have to give account for how we manage what God had given us. Number six, if I am faithful with a little, God can trust me with more. That's what it says in verse 10. Let me read it to you again. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with little will be dishonest with much. As we close, I want you to bow your heads with me. Just bow your heads as we close. My friends, faithfulness in little ways, produces fruitfulness in big ways, in very big ways. I want God, more than anything else, I want God to bless your life. But you're not going to receive the blessings that you're you're looking for unless you do it His way. You need to do it God's way. Each of us needs to realize the spiritual and practical implications of how we manage money. As we've learned this morning, my friends, the way we handle money has a profound, has profound implications not only on the next life, but on this life as well. The blessings of this life as well. So, Father, our Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us apply this, this sermon to our lives. Right now, when we leave this place, we need to change in this area. It has such far-reaching implications, Lord God. We need your help. Help us to manage the money you have given to us. Help us to manage that money. Surround us with people who will help us to get into a place where we can do that well. Help us to make financial changes that are necessary to change our lives and to change the lives of others. Help us to invest in what matters most to you and then to trust you with our financial future. God, we pray all these things in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Listen, one last thing as we close. On April, if you need help in this area, I'm not just going to give you, get you all dressed up and give you no place to go. If you need help in this area, on April the 10th, we're going to do a financial class in the hub from 7 to 8.30, April the 10th. 
If you can't get there on April 10th, then you email me, you call me, and I will hook you up with a financial advisor within the church to help you get to where you need to be. If you're out of a job, there's a company that someone who goes to our church is hiring about 100, 120 people. And if you need a job, then email me, give me all your information, and I will pass that on to her. She's the one who is like uh, the whatever it's your call, but she's looking for people to, to plug into her company. So give me that information, okay? I love you. This is important stuff. Please apply it to your life because if you don't, if you're not successful in this area of your life when it comes to your health, it's going to be very difficult to be healthy in other areas. Have a fantastic week.